Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode, episode 49. 49. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas, and today I'll be taking a look at some of the films from director Trent Harris, specifically the films Reuben and Ed, Echo People, The Beaver Trilogy, and a film not directed by Trent Harris, but a film about possibly the most famous and most interesting of Trent Harris's projects titled The Beaver Trilogy. So turn down the lights where applicable. So on Skeleton Factory, the mission here has always been to highlight cult films, both new and old, that deserve to be... Um, Revisited, examined, and given uh, a newfound appreciation. And the, the films of Trent Harris, um, I think, are probably the best example of that. I mean, not only cult, but also pretty damn obscure as well. But not too obscure to actually get a hold of. So <laughs> let's um, actually, before I get started here, I want to make a correction. From episode 48, I recommended a film that I called Behind the Seventh Door. The film is actually called Beyond the Seventh Door. I think I was confusing the 70s porn film Behind the Green Door. I was conflating Behind the Green Door and um, Beyond the Seventh Door. But yes, Beyond the Seventh Door, it's a delightfully bad movie, but has a really good concept. So, that is a correction from episode 48. Now, let's jump into Reuben and Ed from 1991, directed by Trent Harrison, starring Crispin Glover and Howard Hessman, two great character actors that I'm very big fans of Howard Hessman. He was sprinkled throughout my childhood. He was in uh, 1986's Flight of the Navigator. He was in the film Clue from 1985. This is Spinal Tap from 84. And of course, he was on, uh, well, when. I was growing up reruns of WKRP in Cincinnati, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, they had their final um, season, well, their final episode on April 21st of 1982. So almost a month to the day before I was born, which was in May 1982. But I love WKRP in Cincinnati. It's one of my favorites. It's one of, I mean, of all time, it's probably one of my favorite comedy television shows of all time. Um, Howard Hessman was also in uh, Dr. Detroit. If you're a Devo fan, um, you owe it to yourself to watch Dr. Detroit as in, as uh, Devo is in the soundtrack, but it's a weird fucking movie. I don't know if it's everyone's uh, particular cup of tea, but Howard Hessman's in it. Uh, he was also in Police Academy. Uh, part two, which was also in 1985, same year as Clue, and and um, even in the 90s, uh, Howard Hessman was in an episode of The Outer Limits, the you know the 90s version of The Outer Limits, in an episode called Music of the Spheres, which can easily draw parallels to sort of like COVID lockdowns, vaccination hysteria of the current day. But I recommend it. I recommend uh, the. Outer Limits from the 90s. There's some really good episodes in there. Um, yeah, the music of the spheres. The Yeah, the metaphors are there. And it's a fresh and interesting take on sort of an alien invasion story. Sort of a, kind of subverts your idea of what an alien invasion story can be. Um, so... 
Anyways, rest in peace, Howard Hessman. Um, <laughs> and speaking of actors sprinkled all over my childhood, Crispin Glover. Uh, Crispin Glover. Of course, George McFly from Back to the Future, and he was uh, he was in River's Edge. Really good movie, uh, River's Edge, and he's really the the sizzle in that movie. Everyone was sort of played everything. Play, everyone played it really straight in that movie, but he was sort of the antagonist who was sort of over the top, and he was very crisp, crisp and glovery in uh, River's Edge, and you know. He was also in uh, David Lynch's Wild at Heart. He was the character of Dale, Jingle Dale, <laughs> which is uh, one of my, you know, it's one of my favorite scenes in Wild at Heart. It's very brief, but it's, um, he's great in it. And of course, who can forget the fabulous dance moves um, that Crispin Glover showed us all in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Um... You know, he was also in uh, Jim Jarmusch's film Dead Man, uh, which I covered on, um, I'm not, I can't recall the number of the episode, but it was basically an episode, I think I did uh, Trouble Every Day, and um, I think I, I, made a, I made a short list of movies that are really good to come down off of a horrible booze bender or drug uh, bender, and um, <laughs> it was Trouble Every Day. Um and and dead man i don't know i don't know what i was thinking for that episode but um crispin glover's in it briefly and um oh my god i mean there's the 2001 film bartleby it's a comedic take on the herman melville short story called uh bartleby the scrivener it's a uh, but the 2001 uh crispin glover um, film is it's a refreshing departure from the well the nineteen seventy two film Bartleby, which is a much more bleak, almost dystopian um, version of the story, and uh, reinforces the claim that Bartleby the Scrivener is simply about a man suffering from deep depression. But the the Crispin Glover one is uh, it's it's the it's more of a comedy. You know, it's not a straight-ahead comedy. There's a lot of it's it's very odd, um, but the but the humor is there. It's kind of like Reuben and Ed. Um, let's see, Crispin Glover was also in the Doors movie, where um, he plays uh, Andy Warhol, and um, oh, and of course uh, Reuben and Ed. They're, Okay, so in Ruben and Ed, there is a reoccurring uh, graffiti in the Ruben and Ed world. And um, that graffiti says, Andy Warhol sucks a big one. Now, I don't know if there's a connection between Crispin Glover playing Andy Warhol in the Doors movie and that graffiti in Ruben and Ed. The Doors movie did come out shortly before Reuben and Ed. So I don't know if that's sort of a jab at <laughs> uh, Oliver Stone or if it's like something where he's just ribbing uh, Crispin Glover. I don't know. But I, I thought that, that was an interesting detail. Anyways, let's get into Reuben and Ed, shall we? Um, this film was introduced to me by a buddy of mine. Uh, one of my barbering mentors uh, it's a fella named Shorty Maniachi and um, he, Shorty, Shorty's a, he's older than I am he's about 12 years older than I am so um, when I first met Shorty he like re really wasn't into smoking weed he actually didn't smoke weed and thought that it was would just make you stupid and people who smoked weed um, I don't know were dumb and violent and irresponsible and lazy and, you know. But uh, after some uh, much convincing, I kind of turned Shorty into a pothead. <laughs> Which kind of ended up biting me on the ass later because uh, Shorty was a... Uh, he was the officiant at my wedding. 
and he was fucking baked the entire time. And um, I think it may have affected the the ceremony just a tad, but, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Shorty, if you ever hear this, it was fine. You did a great job. The wedding was beautiful. <laughs> but one of the movies that, you know, I go over to Shorty's house and we'd, we'd you know, we'd... Uh, I've actually, he actually, he's introduced me to a couple movies that, uh, you know, I've never seen before that are sort of, you know, weird and cultish. Uh, I remember we, we watched the, the Reflecting Skin, uh, the Viggo Mortensen movie, and, uh, and, one, and the other one was Reuben and Ed, which he owned a bootleg of, which at Amoeba Records in San Francisco, they used to have a, like, they'd always have like a handful of Reuben and Ed bootleg DVDs. Um, cause that's pretty much how Trent Harris's movies exist. <laughs> Even if you get an official copy from Trent Harris's website, it looks bootlegged. <laughs> like it's kind of the cover sort of shoddily printed out and whatever. And the disc itself is sort of just a burnt DVD, but that's part of the charm. That's part of the underground culty nature of Trent Harris films. I, I suppose. But, um, yeah, yeah, Shorty introduced me to this film. And, uh, yeah, I got a big kick out of it. So, so, Ruben and Ed, we are introduced to Ed, Ed Tuttle, played by Howard Hessman, attending a real estate pyramid scheme type seminar. And Ed has the fashion sense of uh, Herb Tarlick. That's a WKRP in Cincinnati uh, Cincinnati reference. Herb Tarlick was a character on that show. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's going to be more references to WKRP in Cincinnati. So, so buckle in for that. So Ed's wearing this really bl- uh, bad plaid suit that l- would look really terrific in like Dan- Doug Stanhope's closet. And he's wearing like a toupee. That's less believable than the toupee that uh, Les Nessman wore uh, on the episode of WKRP in Cincinnati, where Les takes the lovely Jennifer out on a date after winning the Silver Sow Award. <laughs> okay, Adam. Okay, we can't be making WKRP in Cincinnati references the entire episode. It's just, it's going to fucking derail everything. Okay, I'll try to keep that in mind. So as with with all pyramid schemes, really, Ed needs to hit the streets and uh, recruit more folks to join this organization. It's called the organization. And Ed's superficial uh, presentation is sort of summed up by a, uh, well, at least his presentation in terms of, you know, how he looks, how he talks to people is uh, summed up by a mantra that's chanted at this uh, by this quack real estate cult. And uh, that mantra is, I am an incredibly powerful salesperson who continually climbs higher and higher up the ladder of success. I am an incredibly powerful salesperson. Who continually climbs higher and higher up the ladder of success. I am an incredibly powerful salesperson who continually climbs higher and higher up the ladder of success. I am an incredibly powerful salesperson who continually climbs higher and higher up the ladder of success. Success! Ruben, on the other hand, is a, uh, well, played by Chrisman Glover. Uh, Ruben is a, he's a, he's a grown man, long hair, parted down the middle. Um, it's also obviously a wig, but in the world of Ruben and Ed, his hair is real. He looks like one of those gals from uh, the Manson family. Which one? Um, I don't know, somewhere between Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwinkel, let's say. 
Um, let's see. He's wearing a kind of tight, groovy polyester striped bell bottoms, platform shoes, and um, prescription horn rim glasses that look a lot like Les Nessman's glasses from WKRP in Cincinnati. So I just want to point that out. Uh, he lives in a room of a in a like a motel his um, that his mother manages and his room is like an episode of hoarders it's disgusting he spends he spends his days in his room fantasizing this is like when we're introduced to him right he's it's obvious he spends a lot of time in this disgusting room that's just filled with shit and uh, he's fantasizing simultaneously about this bikini-clad hot chick on a poster on his wall. And next to it is um, a picture of his dead cat, Simon. (laughs) So he's like fantasizing about this hot chick while at the same time sort of uh, fondly remembering his memories with his cat. (laughs) Sort of, you know... What's the term? Kink shaming? I don't I don't know. I don't know. Um So yes, while he's doing this, he <laughs> part of the fantasy is him marching around his room blasting uh the symphonic sounds of Mahler and playing with his dead cat's little squeaky toy. So pretty fucking annoying. Um his mother his mother uh runs in completely fed up with Ruben's behavior and uh, I guess lifestyle and demands Ruben goes out and makes a friend and bring that friend home to dinner. Otherwise, no more boombox blasting Mahler. And uh, so that's sort of like the setup for Ruben's little world he lives in. So it's. At this point, that our two characters meet. Ed needs a poor sap to go to a seminar, and Ruben needs a warm body to go come to dinner um, to meet his mother so that he can get his precious boombox back. When both their plans fall through, Ruben and Ed's, because. Initially, the agreement is Ed's like, I need someone to go to the seminar. And Ruben's like, I'll go to the seminar, but you got to come have dinner with me and my mom. So uh, that's the agreement. But that agreement, um, like I said, it it fell through. Uh, Ruben basically tricks Ed into driving out into the middle of the desert to bury his deceased cat, Simon. And so... So Ruben loads uh, Simon in. Uh, well, Ruben's been keeping his a cat in a freezer, you know, because he he wanted to, he wanted to find the perfect place to to bury him. So he's been keeping him in his freezer for how long? Who fucking knows? But um, he loads Simon into uh, like a cooler, like an igloo cooler, and. Um, you know, the three of them hit the road out to the desert. And so now we kind of have our, we sort of have the, uh, the Tinder for our buddy road movie, sort of. And the movie makes a sharp turn. And, and now we went from this like uh, odd couple kind of possible comedic buddy movie to now we have a oh shit, I'm trapped in the desert with a fucking crazy person story. So, <laughs> so it's it's like Bone Tomahawk or something. No, not really. But um, So after uh, their car breaks down, because of course it breaks down, right? Uh, Ruben wanders the salt flats of Utah searching for the right spot to bury his beloved cat, Simon. And along the way, we get treated to such delightful scenes such as a scene where we, the audience think that Ruben will finally bury his cat and then go back to civilization. 
Because along the way, Ed's like, well, why don't you just bury him right here? And then they walk for a while, and he's like, well, why don't you bury him here? Like, isn't one place as good as another? And Ruben's just like, no, no, it's just not the right place. I'll know when I find the right place. But they just end up walking forever. So we get a scene where we like Ruben's like, okay, I'm going to bury him here. But then at the last second, he pulls Simon out of the hole, puts him back in the ice chest. And, um, uh, Ed utters the famous line. I love this line. Here's the line. It's going to get weird now, isn't it? And who can forget the side splitting scene where Ruben pulls his, Odor Eater's insoles out of his platform shoe and wrings the sweat out of it into his into his mouth. Because of course they went into the desert without any water. So And let's not forget the laugh out loud hilarity of when Reuben, who's been carrying his frozen cat in a cooler through the blistering desert heat, becomes desperately thirsty and Drinks the melted dead cat water that the cat has just been floating in, in this warm cooler. He drinks that. And it's so gross, but it's really funny, too. <laughs> and um, so uh, at a certain point, Ruben and Ed become delirious from the heat. And they both uh, experience like hallucinogenic visions uh ed dreams of running over his mean old money hungry ex-wife rolla who's played by uh karen black um who was uh and if you've seen easy rider she's one of the chicks who does acid um it's uh peter fonda and dennis hopper in the cemetery um she's in house of a thousand corpses uh, she's in Burnt Offerings. Now I'm just naming horror movies, basically. Uh, she was in It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive. And um, she was also in the fifth season of Miami Vice. I love Miami Vice. Um, she was in an episode called Victims of Circumstance. So if you want to dig out your uh, fifth season of Miami Vice, you can watch her in uh, Victims of Circumstance. But... Karen Black, um, she died in 2013, but she left behind um, a lot of great stuff, including her role as Rola in Reuben and Ed. She's she plays a perfect, insufferable woman who's just very unpleasant. But I'm sure in real life, Karen Black was absolutely wonderful. So rest in peace, Karen Black. Anyways, um, so. At some point, uh, Ruben and Ed kind of separate. You know, they get in, you know they get into an argument where they're like, "We're lost. Which way should we go? We should go this way." And then the other one's like, "No, no, no. We should go this way." And then they're like, "Fine. I'm going to go this way. You go which way you want to go." And the other one's like, "Fine. I'm going to do that." So, okay, it's one of those things. And Ruben goes up into this mountain and he stumbles into a cave, uh, presumably for shelter because you know the sun and everything. And he finds these like odd cave paintings made by um, mysterious, uh, this mysterious peoples called the Echo People. And and what does the Echo People have to do with anything in this movie? Not much, really. It's just a thing that exists in this movie. It just, it's just another little, little layer of weirdness. But he uh, bumps his head going into the cave, and then ends up passing out in the cave and dreams about floating in an inner tube wearing comically tall platform shoes that would make him easily 10 feet tall if he was standing on it. But he's he's wearing these platform shoes while inside of an inner tube floating in like a lake. And he's waving at his dream girl, who's the actually the girl from the poster that's in his room, who's driving a speedboat. And his cat, Simon, is water skiing behind the boat. <laughs> that's like his, that's the dream that he has when he passes out. And um, 
you know, Ruben, Ruben and Ed end up meeting up because they realize like if they're going to get out of the desert alive, they get their, they should do it together, you know? So in the end, Ruben never really buries Simon, which was like the whole point of them even ending up in the desert. Uh, Ed actually ends up burying Simon and, but it's a much needed bonding moment that the movie kind of needed at that point in the movie, but together they make it back uh, to the car and oh yeah. And the car actually somebody, we never know who, but somebody actually tagged Andy Warhol sucks a big one on the hood of the car. Oh, and the car is actually not Ed's. It actually belongs to the, the head of the like real estate scam organization that he's part of. So, um, yeah, we never know. They're in the middle of nowhere, too. But somebody showed up with red paint and tagged Andy Warhol sucks a big one on the hood of the car. Okay. So once they get back to the car, they get the car running and then they go back to civilization. And Ed ends up running into his ex-wife, Rolla, at a bank um, because he's like trying to stop at an ATM in the middle of the night. And when they pull up to the bank, there's like a sign out front that um, that says uh, money sale. That's all it says. The bank wanted to let people know that there's a money sale going on. So I don't know why that's there, but it's this big sign. And it's it's just, I don't know. It's another one of those weird things in the movie that's sort of unexplained. But it kind of adds to the... The charm, the silliness of uh, Reuben and Ed. So, so okay. So Ed completely disheveled. You know, he's he's been in the desert, so he's just covered in dirt, and he's he's a mess. And he, he runs into Rolla and her new fiance Jimbo, and she proves to be quite the bitter woman. She starts shouting at Ed, calling him a failure, and he's a hopeless loser. And Ed actually ends up growing a spine and tells. Uh, Rolla to shut her empty headed face and he doesn't say that but that's basically what, what he did and he says uh, he says this which is sort of the cherry on top <laughs> well, you are lousy in bed all those years I never had one single orgasm So Ed ends up dragging Ruben um, to the seminar. So after all they've went through, Ed is like, I still am going to get this motherfucker to go to this goddamn real estate seminar. And um, once they get there, I mean, they, they make a total spectacle of themselves. You know, they show up late and and whatnot. But Ed kind of has an awakening while watching the, uh, the sort of the head of the organization kind of you know, shouting out weird kind of positive thinking platitudes, you know, it has this awakening where he, he's like, he's sitting there listening to this and he realizes that the organization is like this cult of personality, uh, led real estate Ponzi scheme with like, it's aggro, Daniel Carnegie figurehead. Um, he, he realizes it's all bullshit. And he's like, huh, this is not worth $3,000 to just <laughs> for, for what he thought, you know, was, was really his life. He really didn't have much going on. And, but this, this the organization was sort of everything to him. And now after his little, his little jaunt out in the desert with, uh, with Ruben, he's just like, this is horseshit. So, so with Ruben's cat finally buried, um, you know, Ruben kind of made a friend at the end of it. He, he actually accomplished what his mother wanted him to do, wanted him to get out of the house and go make a friend. And Ed's, uh, Ed g- gave his wife, uh, he told her what for. And re- he also realizes that he, um, he never really needed the organization you know, he just needed to have some fucking self-confidence and, you know, he might find that 
he'll be all right in the end of it. So all the potential he ever needed, he already had. And we finally find out that Ruben and Ed have a lot in common. So that we have this scene where they're sort of, um, you know, they <laughs> they leave the car behind at the organization's uh, uh, little conference, and they're walking down the street, and they are sharing their sort of mutual distaste for vegetarians and new age music, and they they find out that they're both Republicans. So happy ending, yeah. And that's basically Ruben and Ed, and I like it a lot. It's really interesting. Uh, if you listen to episode 48, I talked about uh, the film The Greasy Strangler. If you like movies like The Greasy Strangler, you probably already know about Reuben and Ed. And if you don't, you should check it out. You know, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily um, you know, the greatest film ever made, but it's sort of an odd little film that was made in the 90s that's, um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of fun. It's kind of a nice little departure from reality. <laughs> so yes, I, I I definitely recommend Ruben and Ed. Check it out um, if you can find it. Um, let's see. What's here's some here's some some interesting trivia for you. Um, actor Peter Boyle. He was uh, what was it? He was in he was in Taxi Driver. He was the wizard in Taxi Driver. Right, he was uh, Frankenstein's monster in uh, Young Frankenstein. He was um, he was supposed to he was originally cast to play the character of Ed, but he ended up uh, ended up leaving uh, to I don't know. I guess they probably shot this in like 1990, and Peter Boyle did like four or five different fucking projects in 1990, and uh, including some kind of like goofy sequel to some sort of like kickboxing movie. It might have been a it might have been a sequel to one of the kickboxer sequels actually. I'm not sure I could be wrong about that, but what else? Um oh, the Chiodo brothers. Um Chiodo brothers did the the there actually wasn't a Simon the Cat because Simon the Cat was dead the whole time. So it was, he was basically a like a puppet. Anytime they would have a flashback or a photo of Simon, one, he was alive. He's, like, clearly a puppet with, like, comically huge eyes. But, um, yeah, that was made by the Chiodo brothers. They made all the Critters for the Critters franchise. They did the the clowns and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Um, let's see, they did stuff on RoboCop. They did stuff on UHF. Yeah, another kind of group of special effects guys that were just everywhere during my childhood. So, yes, Ruben and Ed. Now, let's jump to a film called Echo People. And I'm going to read the description of Echo People to you. This is off of Trent Harris's website, okay? In this spinoff of Trent Harris's cult classic Reuben and Ed, two heroic misfits venture out on a dangerous top secret mission armed with armed only with a lug nut and rubber ants. Their goal is to uncover the connection between the 14th vertebra of an Allosaurus tailbone, the Mars Society, Andy Warhol, the green arm in the outhouse, and Abraham Lincoln. There is also a hubcap, flying platform shoes, and a frog named El Croco. So that is the description for Echo People on Trent Harris's website. So Trent Harris probably actually wrote this description so that kind of gives you an idea of like the type of stuff Trent Harris makes so um, Echo People um, let's see I I ordered I wanted to have like an autographed copy of Ruben and Ed so I ordered 
a copy off of Trent Harris's web, uh, website. Um, I wanted to get an autographed DVD. I already own a um, Blu-ray copy of Ruben and Ed. And Echo People was just included. It was like a free, he included it for free. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And um, <laughs> Echo People is, it's at least two steps above like a Neil Breen movie, but not as entertaining. Um, but I mean, I like Trent Harris's world of like weirdos and alternate realities and stuff like that. Um, it's good natured and inviting despite its sort of peculiar presentation. Um, it's not for everyone, but I wanted to kind of bring it up since it's, um, quote unquote, a spinoff of Ruben and Ed. Um, besides having kind of same location and some callbacks to the original and, and it's, I mean, it's not on a par in terms of shot quality acting or story. It's sort of knowingly less coherent, um, than Ruben and Ed, which I, I, I mean, I respect, but it makes the viewing experience sort of exhausting <laughs> and at times frustrating and it's missing like the sizzle of Crispin Glover and Howard Hessman's performances. Cause that's really a big part of Ruben and Ed is, you know, just the acting chops of the two of them. So, um, now I haven't seen many Trent Harris films, just Ruben and Ed echo people. And, and, uh, the next film, um, which is the Beaver trilogy. Um, all of these, all these movies are available on DVD and Blu-ray at uh, Trent Harris's website. That's uh, EchoCave.net, or you can go scour places like YouTube or Archive.org. I'm sure you can um, find. I don't know most of his stuff on, on you know anywhere. But you, I mean, you can definitely find the Beaver Trilogy and Ruben and Ed on, on YouTube for sure. Um, so the Beaver Trilogy. So the, the, the official release date, I believe, is like 2000. But everything that was shot for the Beaver Trilogy was shot like, like years and years before. Um, the Beaver Trilogy is an 84-minute like true underground cult film consisting of three short films presented back to back in tandem. Okay. Does that make sense? And actually, and I actually have Trent Harris's description of Beaver uh, trilogy from his website. Okay. At echo cave.net. Uh, Beaver trilogy is a series of three pieces about the same subject, a young man from the small town of Beaver, Utah, who is obsessed with Olivia Newton-John. The first piece, The Beaver Kid, is a documentary about Dick Griffiths, a.k.a. Grooving Gary, and his Olivia fascination. The second piece, Beaver Kid 2, is a drama based on the documentary with Sean Penn playing the part of Dick Griffiths. The third piece, The Orkley Kid, is yet another dramatic work based on the documentary, this time with Crispin Glover in the lead. So that is, it's actually, it's, it's actually a pretty decent description. Um, so yes, let's start with The Beaver Kid uh, from, uh, God, 1979? That's so the Beaver Kid is the sort of original, the original footage that led to the other two, uh, Beaver Kid Two and the Orkley Kid, um, being made because all three of them were made at different times. But later on, in two two thousand, it was they were all released together, but they're all played one after the other and they compose one solid piece okay hope that makes sense because this is a kind of a weird concept for a movie so like i said it's sort of an accidental 
documentary, The Beaver Kid. But it sets up the other two entries while um, while Trent Harris was working at a TV station in, in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is in the 79. Trent Harris was in the parking lot testing out the station's new uh, video camera. Because I believe before then everything was just done on film. So sort of like video, professional video cameras was sort of like a new thing. So he was out in the parking lot sort of testing it out when he meets the t- the titular beaver kid, uh, Dick Griffiths. But he's credited as Grooving Gary on uh, in sort of these beaver kid uh, movies. And um, Dick Griffiths, he was a 21-year-old resident of a rural town um, in the rural town of Beaver, Utah, which is sort of like south of Salt Lake City. Dick came up uh, from Beaver that day to take pictures of the TV station and the station's like news helicopter is like parked in front of the, the station and Trent and Dick get to talking and Dick um, excited about the prospect of being on TV and himself sort of a natural performer. Um, he kind of starts hamming it up for the camera doing impressions of John Wayne and Rocky Balboa and Barry Manilow. <laughs> Does Barry Manilow know that you stole his wardrobe? Anyways, uh, his sort of Dick Griffith's sort of like outgoing attitude is oddly captivating. And Dick shows his uh, white 64 Chevy Impala to, uh, to Trent. And it's got like red velvet interior. And it's got like custom glass etching on the driver's side of uh, Farrah Fawcett and on the passenger side it has Olivia Newton-John and uh, Grooving Gary by the way uh, is uh, Dick's kind of CB radio handle like if you watch the original Beaver, Beaver trilogy it's like he, he mentions that briefly he's like that's where kind of the Grooving Gary name came from it's not like something that Trent Harris came up with so so after, and all this is being filmed by Trent Harris, right? So their whole original meeting. So after this, um, after this meeting, Dick contacts Trent, inviting him to come out to uh, Beaver High School, to the Beaver High School Auditorium for a local talent show and asked if he would come out and film it for a news story. And... Um, you know, Trent is, he's like, okay, I mean, how can this not be good? Right. Cause he was sort of just, he was sort of enamored by the, the original footage he got of Dick where he's just like, this guy's so kind of weird and quirky and shit like that. And now this guy's writing to me saying like, you know, my town's having a talent show and I'm going to be in it. Will you come film it? And he's like, oh sure. That seems like an interesting, I don't know, human interest story for the news. So they, so the they uh, they meet up. This, this is like the day of the actual talent show. So who who knows how much time kind of w- went in between them first meeting to Trent ending up in Beaver for the talent show. It could be months for all I know. But they meet up at the uh, the local mortuary where Dick is getting his makeup done because <laughs> I guess there was no one else in town who knew how to do makeup besides the local mortician. So we get the scene of like Dick at the mortician's getting his, he's getting like a full face of like, you know, like ladies makeup done for uh, his performance at the talent show, which is going to be him singing Olivia Newton, John's please don't keep me waiting. But he's, he's, he's playing it as his sort of cross dressing persona uh, called Olivia Newton, Dawn sort of a creation that Dick Griffiths came up with. And so that's basically, that's kind of, that's basically just what happens. That's sort of the original documentary little, that's the original footage. Okay. And that's, that's the, the beaver kid. Okay. So then the whole thing sort of just hard cuts. And then all of a sudden we kind of jump back to the beginning and it's essentially the same story shown to us the audience again this time it's a dramatized version starring sean penn pre-fast times at ridgemont high sean penn 
So this version is titled Beaver Kid Part 2, and it tells the story of Groovin' Larry. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you got to change the names to protect the innocent, right? So Larry's story parallels Groovin' Gary, except the story is expanded into some sort of, like, dark territory. So... It's basically a remake of the original footage, but Trent Harris starts sprinkling in some kind of, you know, a little more, some more morbid themes into it. So we get the, we get the whole scene of Gary, um, well, Groove and Larry in, you know, in this version, um, we have the whole thing. They meet in the parking lot. He invites him out to the talent show. You see all the people who have their talent, you know, uh, show performance, you know, there's some singers, there's some dancers, and then you get grooving, you get grooving uh, Larry dressed in drag, and he does, please don't keep me waiting. Um, this time, he comes off stage, still dressed as Olivia Newton-Dawn, and he runs into the uh, vice principal of Beaver High School. And he's sort of the guy who kind of um, okayed that this auditorium could be used for this, you know, local talent show. So he runs into him and, and like Larry's like hyped. He's just like, oh my God, that was so much fun. That was a great, great performance, you know. And uh, <laughs> the vice principal's just mortifying. He tells, he tells Larry that he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed for him and that Larry embarrassed the entire town because. I don't know. I guess I guess drag karaoke in rural Utah in 1979 is probably frowned upon. So you know, it's one of those things. And 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 then you know, the vice principal tells him like, you know, those TV people that you've been hanging around with, those people aren't your friends. You know, like you embarrass the entire town. They filmed the whole thing, and now it's going to be on TV. So now, I don't know. I guess the whole county is going to see this footage, and it's just just looks bad so <laughs> after this sort of the uh, the big turn comes where um larry calls the trent harris character his, his name is terrence so larry calls terrence and is asking him like hey uh i've been thinking about it is there any way we can just not show the olivia olivia newton dawn footage for your news piece and terrence basically says no and we get a scene where right after this phone call, Larry loads a rifle with one single round and then sticks the gun, the barrel of the, of the rifle in his mouth. He doesn't pull the trigger, but, but the, but the point is made that he's quite devastated by this whole situation. And right after this, a friend calls uh, Larry inviting him to a party to perform as Olivia Newton Dawn. So Beaver Kid 2 ends with Larry in the Olivia wig singing, Please Don't Keep Me Waiting, into a hairbrush with tears in his eyes, looking into the mirror in his bedroom. And then it like fades to black, and that's it. That's the end of Beaver Kid 2. So, same story. But with like some added backstory that's kind of like dark and bleak, and I mean I think Sean Penn did a uh, I don't know I like young Sean Penn you know he was great and he's great as Spicoli he's he was great in Bad Boys which I love Bad Boys if you haven't seen that not the Will Smith Martin Lawrence Bad Boys there's the Sean Penn Bad Boys it's about like. You know, it's about a, uh, like a teenage detention facility and it's basically like a really gnarly prison movie, but it's all teenagers. It's really good shit. But again, as soon as this story ends, we hard cut again back to the beginning. Um, this time the third and final story titled the Orkley kid starring Crispin Glover this is pre Back to the Future, Crispin Glover. So, Sean Penn and Crispin Glover were just like they were right on the, right on the brink of like becoming really famous. And um, this version, 
is the most dramatized of the three stories. The town of Beaver is called Orkley, hence the Orkley kid. There's more characters in this that are introduced to kind of flesh out the the town of Orkley. Like um, E.G. Daly is in it. She is a diner waitress named Carissa. E.G. Daly, you know, as... um, well, if you saw episode, uh, we, we didn't see it because it's an audio episode, but if you heard the episode, uh, episode 45 of Skeleton Factory, I covered, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains and E.G. Daly has a small part as a maid in, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains, but you'll know her as Dottie from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. She's the voice of Tommy Pickles and Red Rats and, um. You also may know her as um, getting shot in the head by Diamond Dallas Page in The Devil's Rejects. Yeah, that's that's E.G. Daly. <laughs> so, uh, so once again, the Terrence character is also in the Orkley Kid, the uh, sort of Terrence Trent Harris, Terrence slash Trent Harris character um, is there, but his. Um, sleaziness and exploitive nature is cranked up significantly. He's he's the bad guy in the story. Something that Beaver Kid 1 and 2 just like didn't have, right? So the Orkley Kid also presents Larry as like an oddball but lovable yokel who is the butt of kind of people's jokes in this small town where you know, standing out can be looked down upon. And, but in reality, the, um, Dick Griffiths, the actual beaver kid, right. Uh, was a popular and well-liked person in the town of beaver. So, but, you know, it's harder to convey (laughs) that story with a popular guy, um, it's probably easier if he's like this kind of weirdo that people kind of pick on for the sake of this story. But I just wanted to point that out. But Crispin Glover's performance is, uh, it's my favorite, uh, between him and Sean Penn. We get a, we get to the day of the talent show. And when people, get a load of Larry in his drag, um, Olivia Newton Dawn outfit. It gets mostly negative reactions, especially from, especially from his performance. Once he, once the performance is done, everyone is mortified. Everyone around him seems disappointed. We once again, get the scene of Larry calling Terrence in the middle of the night, uh, to ask, Like, hey, could you not air the Olivia Newton Dawn footage? And Terrence assures him, like, it'll be fine. Uh, The footage looks great. And besides, he's got a deadline to meet. He can't just be chopping up his news story. Like, he's he's got a he's got a job he needs to do. So, basically, no, (laughs) he can't he can't omit that from the story. Uh, That's also followed up by the gun in the mouth scene, but. The in the Oracle Kid, it, it, there's this sort of uh, rela- like really relatable and triumphant finale where Larry goes back to the diner wearing um, the uh, the Olivia wig, and when he walks in, the patrons just fall silent. Right? They're just like, "Oh, this fucking guy," and. Larry orders a cup of coffee to go and then he confidently struts back to his car and (laughs) pops in his a track and is blasting. Please don't keep me waiting uh, by Olivia Newton. John, as he speeds off out of town, like out into the distance to where we don't know who knows, but wherever Larry goes, you sort of have this feeling of like wishing him the best. And he's sort of like, leaving this sort of backwards judgmental town to go kind of pursue his 
uh, his wanting to perform for people. So, yeah. So, Larry takes off out of town, and you you know you wish him the best. The end. But, but yeah, the the Orkley kid's great. I mean, it's like. When I was uh, kind of getting this episode together, I, I went and watched uh, the 2001 movie Bartleby. And it's, you know, it's like Crispin Glover's, just the way he is, is just so fascinating to me. And it's sort of like the way he acts is like, if he's doing something that's really funny... You know, okay, if his if like the scene is supposed to come off as funny, he'll play things really serious. And the inverse is when he's in a scene that's supposed to come off as serious, he kind of plays he plays his character sort of over the top and silly. And somehow it works. But um but yeah, that's that's the Beaver trilogy, and I definitely recommend it. I think it's a fascinating movie. Um, do I like it more than Ruben and Ned? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the the way I'm thinking about it right now. It might they might be a tie in terms of how well, you know. I can't really say which one's better, but I like both a lot. If you want to get a copy of Ruben and Ed, you'd have to go to echocave.net to Trent Harris's website, and you can get a copy of uh, Beaver Trilogy and um, Ruben and Ed and Echo People if you want to get really weird. Uh, and he's got a bunch of other stuff on there too. So, um, but like I said before, it's you can you can find um, Beaver Trilogy and Ruben and Ed on on YouTube, you know, for free. But, uh, you know, if you want to support Trent Harris and his artistic pursuits, you know, you can go do that. So the, uh, the last entry for this episode is get a, be the 2015 documentary, the Beaver trilogy four. And it was directed by Brad Besser. He's best known as more of an editor than a director. Um, he's worked on stuff like um, the Joaquin Phoenix movie, You Were Never Really Here, which um, I don't know a lot of people that have seen that. You know, it's it's a really weird movie. I mean, it, it's played pretty, it's played really straight, but it kind of has like a weird twist at the end. And Joaquin Phoenix is really fucking scary. <laughs> he's like, you know, um, he really turns up the fucking... Like, he's really intense in it, and I, I don't, you know, I, I'd rather you just go watch it. Um, yeah, it's called You Were Never Really Here, but Brad Besser worked as an editor on that, and um, he also was an editor on Spike Jones's uh, sort of a, it's like a live Beastie Boys documentary for Apple TV, or the surviving members of uh, Beastie Boys. Um kind of do this live presentation in front of like a like a like an audience like a like an audience about sort of the history of the of the Beastie Boys. So um I've seen bits and pieces of that, but I haven't watched it from beginning to end, but I'd like to, you know, go through and I wonder if I can hmm I mean, I don't have Apple TV, but I I do want to check that out. Anyways, that's kind of what Brad Besser is more known for and um Beaver Trilogy 4 is also narrated by an almost unrecognizable Bill Hader. Yeah, does it, yeah, it's a really great narration, but it's like, I'm like, that's Bill Hader? That's, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, everyone loves Bill Hader, right? So the Beaver Trilogy 4, um, it introduces us to Trent Harris and his film career and how he met Groovin' Gary and his process of trying to make the original um, make the original footage of you know of Dick Griffiths you know 
the original uh, Beaver Kid uh, footage. And it was basically like, how do I make this into something more like a movie? Uh, like, how did he take that footage and make it into the Beaver Kid? And then how did he try to make the Orkley Kid, which is... And the Orkley Kid is like an... It, it's an attempt at a remake, you know, because like the Beaver Kid, he, he wasn't really satisfied with. So he's like, okay, I'm going to try to make it again. So that's how we got the Orkley Kid. And it kind of just describes that process. And later how he kind of came to just kind of take all three of those, you know, all three of those pieces and then just smashing them together into what became the Beaver Trilogy. So we hear from friends and family of Dick Griffiths. Um, who who was he and how did the Olivia Newton Dawn footage sort of affect his life? Uh, turns out it was uh, kind of tragic. Um, uh, Dick a- attempted suicide at one point, but survived. The, uh, the Beaver trilogy and Dick seems to sort of like fade into obscurity, but the Beaver trilogy was never really meant to be shown to anybody. Like Trent Harrison really... Like he filmed all this stuff, but it sort of just sat on a shelf forever. And but lo and behold, the Beaver trilogy was shown at Sundance Film Festival, and Trent Harris invited Dick, and Dick showed up after decades later, and to much fanfare actually. So Dick Griffiths sort of, um, well, I should I should probably mention uh, Dick Griffiths actually he passed away in two thousand nine. But he got to see his dream of success as an entertainer like come to fruition. So that's that's you know that's kind of great. It's it's a it's a really good example of like this like the Beaver trilogy kind of got kind of like a cult following, but no one really knew who Dick Griffiths was, and sort of Trent Harris's sort of, you know, his sort of exploitation of Dick Griffith's life because he he had the initial footage. And, of course, he knew that Dick Griffiths tried to commit suicide at one point. And then he ended up making, you know, everything in the Beaver trilogy. and But he knew he was kind of exploiting Dick Griffith's kind of tragic life. And I think he did feel bad about it, you know, but he he never really tried to capitalize off of the Beaver trilogy. But once it actually, you know, made it to Sundance and then he can invite Dick Griffiths out and him and Dick kind of reunited there. And he was sort of, he was kind of, from what I can tell, Dick Griffiths was like happy with the result. And, and you know, showing up this theater, this sold out theater and all these people recognize who he is. And want to meet him and want to get his autograph and a picture with him. Like it's it's kind of a sweet story and it it, it kind of pays respect to the memory of Dick Griffiths, the the Beaver kid. Um I mean the Beaver trilogy four is a great companion piece to Beaver Trilogy. So, you know, if you want to have like a pretty chill double feature, watch the Beaver Trilogy. And then watch the Beaver Trilogy 4 documentary right afterwards. And it kind of fit in the two, you know, watching the two back to back really fills in a lot of gaps of like, okay, what is this that I'm watching? Like, where does, you know, where does fantasy go away and reality kind of step in? And it turns out there's more reality than fantasy in the Beaver Trilogy, but it's great. I love it. Beaver Trilogy is fantastic. Beaver Trilogy uh, for the documentary is wonderful. And like I said, it fills in a lot of gaps. Uh, Ruben and Ed, love it. Echo People, um, I can't say I really recommend it too much unless you, re- you know, you watch Ruben and Ed and you just want to, you know. I mean, I don't really think it connects to the Ruben and Ed universe very well. I think it's kind of just, you know, I don't, I don't think it does. But you know, if you if you just want to do kind of a Trent Harris deep dive, just go ahead and watch it. 
If I mean, if you buy Ruben and Ed, he'll probably just send you Echo people for free. And I mean, this stuff is pretty underground. Like, um, a lot of this stuff is like, okay, so for instance, like EG Daily's IMDb, like Beaver Trilogy isn't, I'm sorry, the uh, the Orkley Kid isn't on it. You know, <laughs> like I don't think, I don't even think it's on Crispin Glover's like IMDb. And, you know, these are pretty obscure movies, but they're great. And definitely get, definitely watch Ruben and Ed. Just buy a copy. Just own one. Just have it. I, you know, uh, what was his website? EchoCave.net. Yeah. Anyways, let me, uh, let me just hit you with some plugs right now. You can find me, uh, ask me questions, and uh, recommend movies to me if you have any good ideas for an episode. Um, you can go to Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. And that's usually where I do most of my posting. I'm also on Twitter at SFPodcastATX. And you can also find... Uh, Patreon episodes that um, I do have guests on from time to time. And so this is how my Patreon works, okay? I will post a Patreon episode and I will leave it um, kind of first dibs for patrons for a week. So it's behind a paywall for a week and then after a week it's free. So where are you going to get a better deal than that? So if you would like to support Skeleton Factory, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory and um, help support the show, which is greatly appreciated. And if you're already a patron, I thank you very much. So I'm going to get out of here, guys. Um, I enjoyed this episode a lot. Uh, This was a fun little Trent Harris deep dive for me. So and I hope it's enjoyable you so as always this is the skeleton factory podcast rescuing your movie night one movie at a time i will catch you on the next one bye bye